0: good morning everybody can you hear me yeah all right morning good morning yeah can you see me can you hear me all right we can see everybody it's great to see everyone's faces hello hi it's great to see it's good to see everyone's faces good morning everybody Uh, i know we're in strange times with the coronavirus and the quarantine and everyone's in their homes and working from home and you know it's been quite a quite a challenge for everybody uh, but I know uh, we're gonna get th- through this together and we just wanted to spend some time you know interacting a little bit not just having a service online but we thought just interacting a little bit as a church because we're still small enough where so we can kind of do these kinds of things and just kind of have a great time of worship I'm going to do a, a lesson for uh, for us this morning. If you don't have your communion, I'm sure you can make one at home, but we do have them available for everyone. Uh, for eight weeks in Camarillo, if you wanted to pick it up, up from our home, we put individual baggies for every disciple. And in Oxnard, it is at the uh, Iram and Jackie Reyes' home. There's a supply there for you to pick up whenever it's your convenient to do that. Please do. I'm going to start us off with the word of prayer. Then we'll have our lesson and then we'll take communion together and we'll have a song at the end. And then for anyone who wants to stick around and chat a little bit online and fellowship, we can do that together as well. But right now we're going to ask you to mute all your computers. So we don't, we don't talk over each other and uh, let's say a prayer together. Let's bow our heads. God, uh, thank you so much for these, um, this time of worship this time just to gather with the disciples and thank you for the technology to do this this is um this is really cool it's new but it's really neat to see everyone this morning and we just pray god for your sovereignty that you're looking at the world right now and the the world is undergoing a crisis and uh, it's a virus that we cannot see and we say a special prayer for those disciples who are working on the front lines in our own church we have you know, uh, Gavin and Mo and a few others who interact with people on a daily basis. And we just pray, God, that you'll protect them. Uh, And I know they're doing tremendous work, not just in archers, but all over the world. There are disciples who are on the front lines of the virus and and really working with people who've been infected. And we just pray that you'll protect the world, protect us, God, help us to be a shining light during this really uh, insecure time for everybody. And I pray that our love and, our, and your glory will shine through us uh, during these, these times of self-quarantine. <clears throat> As we look uh, and we see our neighbors, we pray that we will be just a light to them and encourage them uh, to really seek you and, and pursue you in a relationship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to continue on our, in our lesson. Um, if I can click the next slide over. I'm going to you i'm going to begin i'm going to start part three of our series uh which is the bible and we're going to see if we can get the slide over okay great um how do i go back okay there there we go the bible now <clears throat> most of us have have had the bible in our life have read it uh, most people know the bible stories but not many people know how in fact we got the bible and how we got the bible is different from how we got your bible or my bible i was able to buy it at the store or get it on an app but the bible itself has a, an, a, an amazing saga an amazing story that i want to i want to go through this morning and it's really important for our faith because when you realize how the bible came to be you begin to really put a lot of faith in how god was writing it putting it together and making, making it available for us to read and encourage our faith, it all started when the disciples went to the, to, to the tomb where Jesus was buried, and they saw that it was empty. And that's where it all began. The moment that Jesus rose from the dead and he showed himself to the disciples, this is the moment the Bible began to be written down. Men like Matthew, the tax collector, Men like John Mark through Peter and Luke, who interviewed the eyewitnesses and who traveled with Paul and John, and many others, they all wrote accounts about the life of Jesus. And these were the people that walked with Jesus, saw Jesus, saw him die, and saw him resurrect. Luke is an interesting guy because he traveled with Paul <clears throat> and he was friends with all the disciples and the apostles. And he started to record and write an orderly account of what happened to Jesus in the life after and, the, and the, actually the actions of the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus. And there was also a guy named Paul who was going around the Gentile world, uh, planting churches and, and converting the Gentiles to Christianity. And for them, that was a huge, that, they went from polytheism, many gods to one God. And that was a huge shift for someone to abandon all their gods and just worship the one God. And when the Gentiles realized that Jesus rose from the dead, they became enamored with the Jewish text. They became enamored with with what, what the Jewish had had all along. They started to look into the text, and they weren't really looking into it from a Jewish perspective. They were looking into it from a Christian perspective because the Christian scriptures is what they began to call the Jewish text. And that kind of irritated the Jews. A couple things were going on with the Jews at that time. One, their temple was destroyed and they were kind of trying to figure out how do we worship God without a temple? The second thing that was going on was that the Jews were annoyed that the Christians were calling it the Christian scriptures. And so they sided with the Romans from time to time just to annoy the Christians. And thirdly, the gentiles had no interest in wanting to be jewish they had no interest the the jewish people were kind of strange at that time they they didn't work all the time They took certain days off they they didn't eat like everybody else ate and they would never invite a gentile over over for dinner and you and they would never want to come over to your house for dinner so there was a lot of like weirdness going on at the time but the christians just took the book of the of the jewish text they took that, but their interest was not historical, their interest was not cultural. their interest was Christological. They weren't trying to find the Jewish, uh, uh, the Jewish in the Bible, in their text in the Old Testament. They were trying to find Jesus in their text. They were very critical of the Jews because they said, "You guys missed your very own Messiah." You couldn't even recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. You guys couldn't even interpret your own scriptures. And so the Christians were getting very um, annoyed and hostile toward the Jewish um, text. They weren't really looking at it from their perspective. In fact, many years later, Paul wrote to the Romans church and said, hey, guys, don't get too uppity because you're Christians. Remember, without the Jewish people, you wouldn't have had Jesus. So Paul tries to tries to remind the Christians not to get too caught up because they discovered the Messiah, because the Jewish people and that story is so important to Christianity today. What the Christians began to do in the in the early church was they baptized, amen. They Christianized and they allegorized. They kind of downplayed the amazing story of the gritty history of the Hebrew people. And the Old Testament chronicles god's redemptive activity in history because this is what god was doing god was laying out the story of how the messiah came to save mankind so god was literally went from creator to founder he founded a nation and he started with a man who had no children and no family of his own had a wife who was barren And his name was Abraham. Now, Abraham had a very important part of this whole process because God chose Abraham to create an international, multi-generational nation that had a specific purpose. And this nation that God established through Abraham would grow. And would grow like the stars in the sky or the sands in the seashore and they populated and it was a full blown nation. And over time, they would become enslaved by a superpower and a Pharaoh who considered himself to be a God. And God would send Moses to the Pharaoh and he would tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Because Yahweh and Moses were gonna work together to free the the, the God's people from the powerful god figure pharaoh himself and god spoke in the language of the pharaoh and the language of the pharaoh was power and violence and moses displayed the 10 plagues on egypt and the people were able to go not just be Mm free but the, the jewish text says they plundered the egyptians and took all their riches and they left and when they left into the desert, God established for the God's people, a covenant. They call it the Sinai covenant. And he says to his ancient Hebrew people, this is what God says. He says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And you're going to be separate from all the surrounding nations because I have a very specific plan for you because through you, you're going to bless the entire world. And here are some laws, and here are some rules, and this is a covenant. I'm gonna give you your own land. And if you obey me, you will prosper. If you disobey me, I will punish you. If you take on the customs of the surrounding nations, if you take on the rituals of the surrounding nations, if you take on the morality of the surrounding nations, if you take on the polytheism, of those nations i'm going to give you back to the surrounding nations and i'm going to give you a dose of what life is like there so you can repent and come back to your land so there were these commandments that god gave the hebrew people and there has been unrelenting criticism from the secular world about some of the conditions some of the laws and some of the restrictions to the sinai covenant and maybe you've experienced this when someone pointed out in the bible an old testament law or restriction that you were like whoa that's kind of strange let me give you an example of a famous atheist and how he describes the ancient text of the old testament judaism Originally a tribal cult of a single fiercely unpleasant God who's more obsessed with sexual restrictions with the smell of charred flesh. That's Richard Dawkins from his book, The God Delusion. I'm going to tell you this morning that he's wrong. And others like him who say these things are wrong. And here's why. In Leviticus 18 there are 19 sexual prohibitions and all these behaviors at that time were practiced in Egypt and were practiced in the in the land of Canaan and all the surrounding nations so God says his, his nation he says look to the Israelites to the Hebrews he says look I'm asking you to be different I want you to live different I want you to act different. I want in every area of your life, I want it to be different because you're my people. And just like today, if God was writing to you, disciple today, he would say, I want you to be different. I want your life to be different than everyone else around you because you are my disciples. I want you to be different in every aspect of your life. Because God told them, I will hand you over to these nations. You need to be different. You know, as Christians, we ought to be different. We ought to be different in our lives that people can see that that we're different. We don't live according to the customs, according to the morality of our world. We choose to be different because we have a God. Our God loves humanity and our God wants to save humanity. And we're his people. Today in our world today, t- 2020, every single developed nation in the world, 17 out of 19 of these behaviors are prohibited. They either are illegal or frowned upon. When God gave the Hebrew people the law, they were it, it was they was way 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 ahead of their time. I mean, it would take centuries before surrounding nations surrounding civilizations finally matured to the point that they realized that these sexual prohibitions that god gave the nation of israel were the way to go and the reason that's the case is because the theme of these sexual uh, restrictions included this no one is to approach a close relative to have (laughs) sexual relations i am the lord i mean to us that seems entirely reasonable we're like that makes sense but in the time that it was written it wasn't reasonable that was the normal life of the canaanites the normal life of the egyptians when jesus when jesus shows up 1500 years later the romans slowly began to embrace the ethics that god gave the hebrew people in fact the egyptian monarchy in the time of jesus was still marrying their siblings in fact Cleopatra still married her brother because that was the practice of its time. So think about this. 2000 years before that ever happened, God was telling the Hebrew people, don't do that. I want you to be different. And the Sinai covenant was a moral and civil code that when understood in its ancient context was brilliant. And every scholar knows and every historian knows that you, you never, never take something out of its ancient context and try to compare it to our modern world. Nobody does that, and you never should do that. So when you read your Old Testament, you have to read it in the context of when it was written in its ancient context. Let me give you an example. God is like a father, and he's trying to wade through the history to take his people to salvation. When I explained where babies come from to a child, it's going to be different when I'm explaining it to a 15 year old versus a child, the way I say, it's going to be different. In fact, if I try, if I, if I'm asked to explain how a baby's born to a medical student, it's going to be different than how I tell it to a 15 year old. My point is that nobody's lying, but everybody accommodates to the capacity of their audience. And here is God who has a developed nation, a created nation for a very specific purpose. He's accommodating to the maturity in its ancient times, and this is what God is doing. And some of it may strike us unsophisticated, maybe even barbaric, but He was superior in every way to the civil and religious laws of the surrounding nations. The protection afforded to the most vulnerable people of its time, the the was revolutionary. The women. Um, The servants, the the foreigners, and children all fared better under Hebrew law than than did their counterparts in the surrounding nations. Why? Because the Hebrew people believed that men and women were made in the image of God, the one God, Yahweh God, and everyone was born with an inherent dignity. And so they believed that the creation of humanity was the pinnacle of god's creation then against better wishes over time the pinnacle of man's creation god's nation under under abraham god would be their god and he would be their people the people against god's better wishes they wanted a king in fact there was many kings and it didn't go well for the for the nation of israel it didn't go well at all because when a nation has a king most of the time it was a disaster because they raised your taxes they took your sons to war they had multiple wives like it's really complicated and they had all the power i mean the kings began to look around and says you know what we want to be like everybody else and that's what the nation of israel was like we want to be like the surrounding nations give us a king and god's like that's not a good idea but i'll i i won't override what you want and so god allows them to have a kings and the kings of israel they looked around the nations, and they noticed that everyone had temples. So we have to have a temple. So they built God a temple, but there was one thing missing in their temple that all the other nations had. They didn't have an image of their God. In fact, God says, don't create an image of me. And all the other nations had an image of their God, but the Hebrew people did not have an image. And everyone thought that was kind of strange, because God says don't make anything of me because nothing can contain me there's no wood or stone or sticks that can represent me and eventually these kings they misbehave and they do things they shouldn't do and so what god would do then was god would send prophets to warn them and to correct them you know some of the hebrew bibles a good chunks of it like jeremiah and others are the are the rants and the ravings And the writings and the warnings and the illustrations of these prophets they're addressing a very specific historical context and they are addressing the kings of israel in their time so when you read the old testament you need to read it in that context because occasionally occasionally a prophet would speak beyond their historical context to a future day when God would do something through their nation, for all the nations. And one example of this, we find as a prophet named Isaiah, who wrote about 600 years before Jesus, and he foresaw a mysterious figure, in fact, a mysterious suffering servant, whose suffering would benefit the entire nation. In Isaiah 53, it is written, it says, he was despised and rejected by man, kind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the original audience is going, Who, who's he? I mean, wait a minute. Wait, a person was pierced? A person paid, paid the price? or penalty for someone else's iniquities? I mean, we have lambs, and we have sheep, and we have goats. I mean, that's our entire system. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, the original audience is like, who is him? Wait, wait, wait. The Lord doesn't lay the iniquity of other people and all of us. I mean, the Lord lays it on the animals. He lays it on the sheep and the goats, and we have a temporary covering for our sins, and that's why we, we sacrifice the animals. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And can you imagine the original audience? They're like, wait a minute, it sounds like this guy comes back to life. I mean, we today in the modern day world, we know who this is. Yet in its ancient context, that people were curious who this could be. And this would be the eventual Messiah that they always hoped for. This Messiah, to suffer, the servant who would suffer and would see the light of life. And over and over, Israel is reminded that they were a divine end to a means, or divine means to an end. And the story of the Old Testament is, is magnificent. And the Christians in the New Testament were, were, were kind of ignoring the history of it. And they were, they, were, they were kind of like, it's okay, we just want Jesus. But to miss the Old Testament is you miss this epic saga where God, he wades into the fray and plays by the rules of the kingdoms of this world in order to usher in a kingdom not of this world. That's what God was doing when he was putting together the Bible, when he was putting together the story. And where the story ends is where he says, crucify him and crucify him. And that was the suffering servant, the Messiah. The Hebrews called this the old covenant or the law or the Torah. The Christians called it the old covenant, excuse me. And the old Testament is an amazing story. So if you ever get a chance to read the old Testament, it's an amazing saga of an ancient people struggling to survive in a world where food was scarce enemies were real and death was just a minor infection away i'm not talking about today even though it sounds like today it's the reality of the old testament world okay where food is still scarce today toilet paper is scarce the enemy is hidden and death is just a minor infection away is still real for us today but it was even more real back then in spite of all that, the people clung to God and God clung to his nation, careful not to override their freedom with his presence. I mean, it's a, it's a gritty ancient story with a divine purpose. And the purpose was announced to God through Abraham and which was fulfilled about 200, I mean, 2,200 years later, when a Jewish carpenter discovered that his fiance was pregnant. And the Apostle Paul put it best. It says, when the time set had fully come, meaning the time set meaning when everything that had happened needed to happen. When the man Abraham had a family that grew into a nation, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, because before the, before the lawgiver was given, they needed a tutor, and that was the law. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The storyline of the Old Testament should cause all of us just to fall to our knees in gratitude. There's no need to tidy up the Bible or to ignore oh, guess ignore that part of the Bible. That seems a little odd. No. It's not a spiritual guidebook. It's a story of God preparing the world for a savior. That's what God is doing. And as time went on in the second century, the church incorporated the Hebrew Bible into the Christian worship, and they gave it a new name. They started to call it the Old Covenant and the Old Testament because they believed that God established a new covenant for everyone. But still there was no bible in the second century no bible just the hebrew text just different accounts of jesus life and then eventually some correspondence between a famous church planter and his gentile congregation all of this all of this is happening as we look as we look back into the how bible came to be all of this entering into the world a god who wants to save his creation from eternal death, and take them to eternal life. This is the story of the Bible. And Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate, I love you, I'm willing to die for you, here I am. And as the Israelites clung clung to God and God clung to them, we need to have a perspective about how this book that we read every day came to be. It's an epic saga. So if you don't read your Old Testament, I encourage you to read your Old Testament. It will take you to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, you'll find this, that Jesus, the Son of God, resurrected on the third day. And because of that, it gave us a chance for us to have a new life. This is the epic saga. This is the Bible. And if you have one of these in your hand, or you're going to make your own communion, which is fine, we're going to take a moment just to celebrate together the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's take the elements at this time after I pray. Father, thank you for Abraham, to all the history of the Old Testament, all that leading in the right time for. Jesus to be born through Mary and to live a life in a ministry to show us the way and to model the way on how to be different, live different. And the third day, God, after his death, he was resurrected to life. And we celebrate that this morning, God. We examine our hearts this morning. We examine where we're at spiritually, God. And we want to reflect and see the areas where we can grow as we celebrate, God, victory in our faith because of Jesus. And God, we want to say thank you. And we're so grateful for the story that you've laid out for us that we have every opportunity to do. We can read it, and we can understand it, and we can know it, and we can learn lessons from our, from our forefathers before us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.